and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. I want to welcome everyone today, those watching online. We're honored to have you, all the dads in the room. One more time, let's give it up for all the dads. Happy Father's Day to all of you. What a crazy week it's been for me. So I flew on Wednesday. I got called on like Saturday. Hey, can you be in Florida Wednesday and Thursday for a missions meeting? And I said, yes. And uh, they flew me there and I met with Pastor Dixon and some others and we were strategizing for missions. And I was supposed to come home Thursday night, make it home Thursday night, go to bed, get up Friday morning and drive to Kansas City with my family for a baseball tournament. And I'm driving to the airport and Delta emails me and says, your flight has been delayed. We are finding you a new flight. And so I call my travel agent and uh, he's like, yeah, we don't know what's going on. What do you want to do? You're going to miss your connecting flight. You're going to be stranded in Atlanta overnight. I said, well, can they fly me tomorrow morning to Kansas City? So we drove to Orlando. I was in Jacksonville, drove to Orlando and I was with Pastor Dixon and uh, he had never been to anything Disney. And so I took him to Disney Springs. Maybe you know what is downtown Disney. It's now called Disney Springs. And we walked around there. And that was an interesting trip. If you don't know who Pastor Dixon is, he's our, one of our pastors from Africa. And uh, he had never been there. And if you've ever spent any time with Pastor Dixon, he's always got to take pictures. And so I felt strange. Two grown men walking around Disney Springs taking selfies of everything Mickey Mouse. <laughs> And that was, that was interesting. And, he'd, and I'd just stand over there and just wait for him as he's all smiling, taking pictures. I was like, it was awkward the first one. I'm not getting any more pictures with you, dude. You're on your own. And uh, standing in front of Buzz Lightyear Legos, he's, and he, and he literally goes, to infinity and beyond. And Pastor Dixon, I'm talking about you. But anyway, it was a great, great time with him. We loved it. And uh, so anyway, I get on my plane Friday morning at 7.30 in the morning. I'm on my plane. Got up really early and was, got through all the craziness of Orlando Airport and sat on the plane and the pilot comes on and says, we are delayed. And the problem is I'm trying to get to Kansas City because I've got to meet my family there for a baseball tournament, sat on the plane for almost two hours. If you know anything about me, sitting on the plane in a crowded space, I'm like, Jesus, help me. You know, just help me out. Help me get through this ordeal. I landed took an Uber, got to the Mackay's game. And uh, interesting that yesterday's my birthday and my family, Tasha's, we were supposed to be in Nevada for another baseball tournament. It got moved to Springfield. So it was just a crazy weekend. And then the Lord started wrestling with my heart about this message. And I was up late last night, but I believe God's going to speak to us today. We're in week three of a series that we're calling Kingdom Culture. The kingdom of God was, I believe, the main message of Jesus. You want to know what the gospel of Jesus is about? The gospel is really, it's not simply about salvation. That's a part of the gospel, but the gospel was about Jesus coming and establishing a different kingdom on this earth. It's not a kingdom like anybody knew. Jesus spoke about, taught about, gave instruction on the kingdom more than anything else he taught about. And yet, sadly, as we look at the Bible and we see Jesus himself teaching about the kingdom of God, many of us as Christians struggle to understand what the kingdom of God is really about and the impact that the kingdom of God, being a kingdom of God person, should really have on our lives. 
And our hope in this series, as we take a look at the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, our, our hope is, is that something would be activated inside of you and it would release the kingdom culture, the kingdom of God in your life, in your family, and in all that you do. Your workplace, your personal relationship, your home, your school, your friendships. Why? So it empowers us to become all that God has called us to become. I believe there's something about the kingdom of God that we need to get and that we need to understand. Before I dive into what I want to talk with you about today, let's pray. Father, I just ask you in these next few moments, if you yourself would grace this room, you, your presence has already been here. Now I ask that you grace this, your place with your presence as I communicate your word. I believe you have something very specific that you want to speak to us about today. I believe I have a rally cry from you for this house. Lord, minister and move. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Give all of us ears to hear and a heart that responds to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Today I want to talk with you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. We'll get there in just a moment. It's my core message for Today, in this message, every one of you can take something from this message. It will speak to all of us. It's a call for all of us, but I really want to speak specifically to men. And I want to encourage all the men, not just dads, but I want to encourage all the men today to put on your big boy pants. I want to encourage you to allow the Lord to step on your toes a little bit. I want to ask you to allow the Lord to mess with your heart. Because men, I believe if we'll listen to this message, this could change the trajectory of your family and of this church. I believe in this message. I believe in what God has been putting in my heart. Before I read verse 41, I want to ask all of you a question, men and women in the room. But how many of you have kids? If you have kids, raise your hand high. All right. How many of you have more than one kid? Keep your hand raised. All right, how many of you had more than one kid? Each kid has their own unique personality. They are as distinct as they can be, yeah. All of us that have multiple kids, you realize that your kids, all the good traits come from you and all the bad traits come from your spouse. <laughs> as most of you know, Tasha and I have three different kids, or four kids. We have a daughter who's just turned 22. You could actually say we have five kids now because of that guy right there, but I'm not sure we're claiming him yet. But anyway, we have a beautiful daughter who's 22, and she's going to be moving soon, and we're extremely proud of her and uh, Cody. And then we have three boys, 17-year-old Makai, who's in a baseball tournament in Kansas City, 13-year-old Maddox, and then we have a seven-year-old. His name is Malik. And uh, he wanted to sit in here today, and I knew I was going to be talking about him. And when I talk about him in church, he gets a big head. So I made sure he went back to kids' class. <laughs> but Malik is our seven-year-old. He is our youngest. He is one of a kind. If you've ever met Malik, you know he is one of a kind. He is the most confident kid we've ever had. He is determined and he is, like all of our kids, a little bit hard-headed. 
Actually, not a little bit. He's a lot hard-headed, but he comes by that pretty naturally. And as his teacher says, he won an award this year at the end of the year as the most persuasive child. (laughs) I don't know if I would give that an award. I might have called it most argumentative, most frustrating, most shut up and quit talking. You're not getting your way. And we love Malik Reed dearly, and we wouldn't trade him for anything. But I'll tell you, Malik is convinced that the world completely revolves around him. He's convinced of it. He believes that he himself is the axis upon which the entire planet and all 6.5 billion people living on this earth spin. He is the axis. Malik thinks that Tasha and I and his grandparents, his siblings, and all of you in this room, one of the things he tells me is you own the church, right? No, I don't own the church. Well, I can do whatever I want because you own it. No, Malik, that's not how it works. But he thinks Tasha and I, his grandparents, his siblings, all of us in this room, anybody who may come around him, he thinks all of us are here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to meet his every whim, every desire, and every need. He is convinced of that. Don't get me wrong, Malik is amazing. I don't know what this world would be like without him. I love him to the deepest part of my being. I believe Malik is going to do something one day. I believe he will be somebody special. I believe he will change the world. I believe he will leave his mark on this world. But he thinks Tasha and I's ultimate purpose in life is to feed him, to clothe him, to bathe him, to play with him whenever and wherever he wants to at whatever time of day. And most of all, he is convinced that whenever we go to the store or whenever we go out of town, he has to get a toy and I have to buy it for him. And if I don't buy it for him, I am a horrible, evil, no good dad. And I'll admit Sometimes I find myself a little angry at this. I find myself a little frustrated. And I find myself thinking, how in the world did he end up like this? And the Lord reminds me, Chad, he gets it from you. And I could act shocked. And I could act self-righteous and think, Lord, none of that is me. But I know all too often I get wrapped up in myself. All too often I get tied up in my own concerns. All too often I get tied up in my own schedule, my own abilities, my own responsibilities, my own shortcomings, my own failures, my own problems, my own influence, my own bills, my own family, my own ministry, my own reputation. Me, me, me. And at times I think that I am the axis upon which the world should spin. And let's be honest, all of you in this room just like me. You see, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to get wrapped up in your own little world and think you are the axis upon which the world should spin. In fact, sadly, I would say being selfish and me-centered comes all too naturally for all of us. But the problem is, 
When we spend, and I want you to hear me, the problem is when we spend the majority of our days thinking about me and me alone, for the good or the bad, our world begins to shrink down to a tiny proportion of what God has planned for us. You see, when Jesus came to planet Earth, Some 2,000 years ago, his footprints only landed on a very small space of this planet. But his footprints can still be felt today, 2,000 years ago, and hours and hours away from where he walked. And I wonder at times, in my me-centered world, are my footprints really making a difference? Or am I all too selfish and me-centered to leave a mark. You see, this is a problem I think we have in the church. I think this is a major problem that we have in the world. And men, dads, I think this is a major problem we ourselves have. And we've recreated who we are. We're selfish and we're me-centered. And this is a problem that I believe that Jesus is dealing with on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about establishing kingdom culture, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of being. And I believe if we as men in this room and watching online, I believe if we could grab a hold of kingdom culture and if we could live kingdom culture daily, I believe it would solve all the world's problems. If men could just grab a hold of what the kingdom of God is all about, I believe it would change the world. I believe it. As I said at the beginning, I want to speak to us primarily from Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. It's what I've built this message on. But before I even read that to you, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And I want to give you some context as to who Jesus is talking to on the sermon on the mount. It says this, one day as he, this is Jesus, saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Now, When I've read the story of the Sermon on the Mount in the past, I don't know if maybe I've just skipped over this introductory statement because I've never really paid attention to this because I've always assumed that this crowd is for everyone that's following Jesus today. But I'm not sure that's what Matthew was trying to say here. Yes, the crowds that followed Jesus from Capernaum, they're now just outside the city The implication, though, as Matthew is trying to teach us, is I believe that Jesus is there to try to escape the crowds. Look at it. That's what I think is happening. And so Matthew says that Jesus took his disciples up the mountain to pray and to teach them. I don't think it's a stretch to conclude that Jesus, this teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, is directly directed to his closest followers, his disciples. In fact, chapter 4 concludes with Jesus calling his disciples. And so it certainly makes sense that after Jesus has got 12 new followers, the first thing he wants to do is teach them, pour into them, take them through some lessons, some classes on what the kingdom of God is about and what's expected of them as his followers. And Matthew seems to be saying here that this is what Jesus did. He separated his disciples from the crowd 
And listen, the crowd that had been following Jesus, they weren't so interested in what Jesus had to say. They weren't so interested in kingdom culture. They were interested in what Jesus could do for them. That's really, I think, why a lot of the people were following him. You see a big portion of the crowd, they're following Jesus and his disciples because they've heard about the miracles. They've heard about all the good things that Jesus is doing. And they're thinking, I wonder, will he do this for me? Because, you know, that's the reason Jesus is here. Because the world's all about me. You see, I have problems. I have pain. I need a miracle. I need a healing. I need a touch. It's all about me. You could say that the crowd that's following Jesus was probably a little bit selfish. You could say that the crowd that's following Jesus was probably a little bit me-centered, a little bit like me, a little bit like all of you. You see, the crowd that's following Jesus here, they wanted Jesus to touch their lives and do what Jesus does, change it. But after Jesus touches them, and this is where I see many of us in the church, Jesus touches us, he moves in a moment in our life when we desperately need him, but then a lot of us, we go back to our own life. We go back to our own ways, our own schedule, our own stuff. And that's what many of the people that Jesus touched did. They went back to their fishing boats. They went back to their sheep. They went back to their fields. They went back to their little businesses. They went back to life. They went back to whatever it is that they did. But he told his disciples the same thing he's telling us today. He's asking us to not go back to what we know, but he's asking us to be different. He's asking us, he's calling us to be set apart. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about living like the world does, but the kingdom of God is all about living like the king of kings does. And so Jesus is trying to establish this culture and he's trying to teach it directly to his disciples. And he's telling them, I've called you to be difference makers. I've called you to love and serve others. And that's the same calling that's on our lives today. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to be me-centered. We are not called to be all about me. We are called to love and serve others. That is what the kingdom of God God is all about. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to see Jesus make some revolutionary statements. Imagine somebody coming to your family. Let's just, let's, let's just take it right to your family. Imagine you have a culture, a way of doing things in your family, and this is the only way your kids have ever known it. And somebody comes in and says, hey, you know what you've always done? I want you to do it this way. There's going to be some shock there. It's a revolutionary statement. That's what Jesus is doing here. And he gives some challenging new ways of living to these Jewish followers of his. And he's telling these Jewish people to approach life opposite of what the law says. Where the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus challenges them to go above and beyond that, above what the law requires. Jesus is challenging them to find within themselves a grace and a love for others like they've never known before. Jesus is teaching about a generosity that is beyond what is ordinary or beyond what is expected. And he begins to teach this new way of thinking. Listen to it in Matthew chapter five. We're gonna pick it up in verse 39. 
But I say to you, this is Jesus, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Do what? No, I'm getting back. I'm going to talk about them on social media. Verse 40, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. Then let's skip ahead to verse 43. He says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, think of the revolutionary teaching this is, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We know this teaching, we understand it, but we still struggle with it. Imagine being a Jewish follower of Jesus during this time, and this is a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of teaching. You can't help but wonder what these Jewish people think, because they are so used. Their culture was a culture of retribution. You get back. A little later in the Sermon on the Mount, we even begin to see Jesus talking about the golden rule, doing to others as you want them to do to you. He's changing culture. So you you know that they had to think that Jesus was off his rocker, like the Judean heat is getting to him. You know, what are you talking about Jesus? But I'll tell you, this revolutionary teaching of Jesus, I believe is the answer to our world's problems. I believe if we could love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we could change the world. I believe if instead of gossiping and talking poorly about somebody that has wronged you, if you could love them, here's what I felt like the Lord was telling me during worship today. This is, I'm going to push pause on the message for just a second. Here's what I believe the Lord was telling me. For those of you that struggle with gossip, for those of you who struggle with negative thinking, for those of you who complain a lot, here's what I literally felt like Lord, Lord just whispered to my heart and he said, Chad, if you could change the tone in your mind, you could change the tone that comes out of your mouth. And I just believe some of us need to change the tone of what's happening in our mind. Listen to me, some of us, we need to stop complaining. This is the culture of the kingdom. Some of us, we need to stop gossiping. We need to change our ways. We need to change our tone. Let's get back to the message. Hidden away in the Sermon on the Mount, sandwiched between the verses that I just read to you, verse 39 through 43, is a verse that honestly, it challenges me. It does something inside of me. It's tucked away in this teaching on the kingdom of God and how to pray and what to do with our possessions and people and promises and motives and desires. There's a short verse here that I want to use today. As I said, this message can be applied by all of us, but I really wanted to start with men because I believe men, we are called to lead the way. I believe that's biblical. That's not Male dominance, there's not a statement like that at all in me. Please hear me. But I do believe that God, according to Scripture, has called men to lead the way. That's what I believe. And so that's why I'm preaching this and aiming it at men. But there's this teaching, there's this verse that I believe if we will listen to this challenge and accept this as a challenge from God, I believe this will be a a cure to what ails so many of us. I believe, listen to me, men, if you'll listen to this teaching today, it will cure your friendships, your family, and your faith. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it 
two miles. All right, Pastor Chad, what in the world are you talking about? And how does this verse talk to me as a man? If a soldier demands that I carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Well, let me give you a quick history lesson, all right? At the time that Jesus is saying this, the people of Israel, Judea, they were under Roman military occupation. And under military law, any Roman soldier could command a Jew to carry his soldier's pack for one mile. Not more than a mile, only a mile. But any soldier could come to any Jew. Now, some teaching that I found out is all the roads in that area had stone markers for every mile. Stone markers for every mile. So a soldier could come to Steve Ron and say, here's my pack. And start here and carry it. And he could get all the way over here. He could say, all right, Sean Thurman, you're picking it up here. And he could make that man carry, he could make men carry his soldier's gear for a mile. Now, once he got the first mile done, he couldn't ask Steve to carry it anymore, but he could ask Sean to take the second one. He could ask Elliot to take the third one. He could ask Chad to take the fourth one. That was the law. But Jesus says, our responsibility as Christians And listen to me, I believe, hear me, to our selfish, me-centered ways that so often shrinks down God's plan for us is to go beyond the one mile that's required by the law and to give another mile out of free choice. To go beyond what's required. Go beyond what I have to do. And just a moment ago, I said, you can't help but wonder what these Jewish people are thinking about this. How could Jesus ask me to carry the gear of this Roman soldier? How could he do this? I mean, this Roman soldier is occupying my land. He's oppressing me. How can he ask me? I I know I have to out of obligation, out of law. I have to do this. But how could Jesus ask me to go above and beyond? And I'll admit to you, this mindset of going above and beyond for others is challenging. It isn't always the easiest thing to do. And we could take the rest of this message today to talk about what the Jewish people thought. But I don't want to talk to us about what the Jewish people thought. I want to talk to us as men. And I want to challenge our hearts. And I want to ask each of us to accept this concept in our life as a challenge from God. Yes, the example we see here in Scripture, I don't find it anywhere in America or the world we live in today that I'm required by law to carry somebody's gear for a mile. I don't see that illustration anywhere. But this concept of going the extra mile on behalf of someone else is a truth that resonates beyond the confines of time and culture. By using this illustration of the second mile, Jesus is opening up for us even today a completely new way of thinking. If, our, if us as men could capture this thinking, I believe it would change our world because it's a kind of thinking that totally cuts the grain of our own human nature and our desires for me and being self-centered. Jesus is inviting us in Scripture through the Sermon on the Mount to a higher standard of life, one that requires service, humility, sacrifice, and unconditional love for others. Jesus is inviting us to go above and beyond. Jesus is inviting us to be second-mile men. Not just first-mile men who do what is expected of them, but second-mile men, we lead the way. 
Second mile men are on mission always. And my hope, as the first time I said that word, that phrase, on mission always, my hope is that this mindset of becoming a second mile man who is on mission always becomes a rally cry for the men of this house and that we become men who see that God is calling us to go to a higher place. And I'll tell you, today, I choose to be a second mile man. And today I want to quickly give you three areas where I feel like God is asking us to be second mile men. I'll go through this quickly, but number one, I believe God is asking us to be second mile men in our friendships. Or another way we could say this is God is calling men of Destiny Church to be second mile men for others. At the end of your life, every one of us in this room, we're going to stand before God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to say, well done, And then I believe we're going to be evaluated for how well we served and loved others on this life. Romans 14 verse 12 says, each of us will give an account to God. Think about the implication of that statement. One day, we're going to give an account to God. One day, listen to me, men. One day, God is going to, you're going to stand before God and he's going to compare in the throne room how much time you invested in yourselves compared to how much time you gave and how much love you gave to others. All your hollow excuses of I was too busy or I was trying to earn a living or I was trying to provide for my family or I was trying to have fun, all of our hollow excuses are going to seem empty and vain when we stand before God and he evaluates all that we've done. Second mile men, we understand that we were created for more than ourselves. Ephesians 2 tells us, it is God himself who's made us what we are and given us new lives from Jesus. And long ago, he planned, listen, that we should spend these lives in doing what? Long ago, God planned that you would spend your life not investing it in yourself, in your bank account, in your toys, in your hobbies, in your stuff. God said, I'm creating men and women who will invest their lives in helping others. Second mile men understand this. We were created not just for ourselves, but we were created to love and serve and help others. I believe if we could grab a hold of this, it would change our world. Second mile men understand this. God did not put us on this earth just to live for ourselves. We are called to love and serve others. 58 times there's a phrase that has a lot of common language in it in the Bible. Things like this, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, support one another, help one another, encourage, serve. And that's what second mile men do. We love our friends. We don't gossip about them. We don't complain about them. We go the second mile for others. We go the second mile for our neighbor. We go the second mile for those we work with. We go the second mile for our parents. We go the second mile for our family. That's what men of God do. We care for each other. We pray for each other. We don't just say, I'm going to pray for you. But when we hear about a friend who has a need, we go to God for that man. We go to God for that family. 
Why? Because we know that God has put a calling in each of us not to live and serve ourselves, but to live, love, and serve others. I wonder today, in your friendships, in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your school, the guys you work out with, I have a question for you today, and I want you to think about this. Here's a question that can bring it home. In all of your friendships, in all of your relationships, and everywhere there are others, are you a first-mile man who does just enough to get by, or are you a second-mile man who goes and beyond, above and beyond for others? Let me ask you this question. Are you going to be a first-mile believer or a second-mile disciple? You see, I think the church is full of first-mile believers. We do what's required so we can sneak into heaven. But man, we're not leaving an eternal footprint on planet earth like Jesus did. One day when my world ends, I want to know that I left a mark on this planet. I don't want to just leave it empty. Second mile men go above and beyond for their friends. The second area where I feel like the Lord is challenging us to step up is second mile men step up for their families. Second mile men step up for their families. I'll tell you, one of the best statements I've ever heard in my life is directly from the Bible. It's in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. It sounds like something that comes straight out of a movie. Joshua is challenging the people of Israel at the end of his life. He's telling them of all the wonderful things that God has done for them, but he leaves them with a challenge. It sounds like something that might come directly out of Braveheart. It sounds like one of those statements that you might see a famous actor stand on the screen and say, but Joshua says this, verse 14 and 15. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever. Everybody say that word forever. The idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But listen here. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today. Pick it. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Quit straddling the fence. Quit playing games. Quit being lukewarm. Decide today, am I in or am I out? That's what, that's what he's saying here. Would you prefer to serve the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live now? But listen here, listen at this line. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You do what you're going to do. You watch what you're going to watch. You say the things you want to say. You dress how you want to dress. You go where you want to go. You play the church game. But I just know that as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You gossip about others in your house. You complain about others in your house. You do whatever it is you want to do. But I know for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's what Joshua's saying. And that's what I say today. Man, if this would become a common phrase, or a statement in your home. This family serves the Lord. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel slammed into the east coast of the United States of America. It went through North Carolina, Virginia, moved all the way to Canada, and it killed 16 people, and it cut power to 6 million homes. The edge of this hurricane passed through Washington, D.C., and it prompted the president 
and the members of Congress and all of that to find safe quarters. I love Washington, D.C. Something about it. But there's a place in Washington, D.C. that I want to go to every time, and it's so sacred to me. It's the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington Cemetery. These soldiers since July the 1st, 1937, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, rain, snow, sleet, 150 degrees. They never leave that tomb of that unknown soldier. Well, that day, as that hurricane is sweeping through Washington, D.C., they were given permission to back away and to take safety. But those men chose to remain at their post, even though they were given permission to seek shelter. And that made me think, this is what a second mile man does. He acknowledges the storm. He says, I know the storm is real, and I know that my life may be at risk, but he doesn't give in to the storm. He doesn't shrink back, and he doesn't shirk his responsibility. He stands firm. As someone once said about these soldiers in Arlington Cemetery, listen to this statement. He said, if these men can stand guard over the dead, how much more important is that I stand guard over the living, my wife and my children? And men of Destiny Church, like these soldiers, we are called to stand and do our duty while staring down the very storms of life that seek to destroy our homes, our family, our lives, and our faith. We are called to stare down those storms. Second mile men lead and serve their family. Now these two words, serve and lead, they don't seem to always go together. Serve and lead. They seem like a contradiction. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that the husband is the head of the wife. And I know that's a controversial statement, and don't throw stones. But I believe in that statement. But Jesus, he quickly, Paul quickly puts to rest any notion that this form of leadership allows any place for male dominance. That's not what the scripture is about. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. Then the passage goes on to say that husbands should love their wives, just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. This paints a picture of leadership that is contrary to how the world views it. Second-mile men are called to be servant leaders. Second-mile men are called to take responsibility for their wives and their children and put your family's needs ahead of your own, but we have too many selfish men putting their own needs above that of their family. Second mile men stand up like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Third area, and I close, the third area I feel like God is asking us to be second mile men is number one in our friendships, number two in our family, and number three in our faith. You see, one of the easiest things in the world to do is to become a Christian. It's literally one, it's ridiculously easy how easy it is to become a Christian. All you have to do is confess you're a sinner, repent, believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for you, 
and he's raised from the dead. And if you surrender your life to Jesus, you immediately and instantaneously become a Christian. There is nothing in the world that is easier and freer than that. Listen to me, there is nothing in the world easier than becoming a Christian. But at the same time, one of the most difficult things in the world is to be a Christian. It's easy to become one. It's difficult to be one. Going the first mile is the easy part. God's asked us to go the second mile. You see, the call to discipleship, the call to transformation, the call to kingdom culture is not a call just to become a Christian. It's a call to be a Christian. Not to just do the minimum of what is required of us to go the first mile, but the call to discipleship, the call to change is a call to always go the second mile. And second mile men are always on mission, always. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.